Welcome to episode 58 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Nick Gomez. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by coach Nick Gomez from Austin, Texas. Icy in Austin today, kind of similar to Toronto. Yeah, well, probably not that bad, but uh, yeah, we're, it's icy enough where I, I feel comfortable staying home for a little while. Yeah, that's right. It, it always amazes me like um, how places that are not Canada and, and that don't experience a lot of snow when there's like a little bit of snow or a little bit of ice, it's so detrimental to, to think. And not that like it's that crazy in Texas right now, but when it is, when it does get a lot of snow, it's just you just don't have the, the capabilities to remove all that snow. And rightfully so. Why would you have like tons of plows and salt machines and all that stuff? But just right. you know, pays attention to some of the or draws attention to some of the differences between different places, even though we're not that far away. Right. Yeah. And uh, that kind of blew my mind because I moved out here um, December of 2020 from Albuquerque and Albuquerque is about mile high. And a lot of people don't realize that, but we we get quite a bit of snow, um, especially where I went to high school, like on the other side of the mountain. Like so where I went to high school was probably about 6,500 feet elevation. Right. And so it was pretty common for us to get eight, nine, 10 inches of snow. Um but Albuquerque was a little different. They'd get like three or four and kind of shut down. Uh, and, but then I moved out here last year. We had that, that, the big freeze. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this, I mean, it seemed like all of Southern Texas shut down for about two or three inches of snow. And luckily I didn't get hit too hard, but I was driving around in my Honda and I'm like, what is Everyone has trucks out here and they're pulled over on the side of the road. I was like, <laughs> you get you city slickers, man. You, I, I thought this was like a little more rugged, but <laughs> yeah. like you said, they weren't ready. Like no one was ready. There's no, there's no plows. There's no salt trucks, stuff like that. Cause Albuquerque obviously has all of that ready at, at hand. Of course. Yeah. If, if you have to deal with it and, and people don't have snow tires and, and just like the skill of driving in the snow and the ice, which is a bit of a skill. And, and even it happens here every year, the first like couple snowfalls or every winter, the first couple snowfalls, it's just a disaster. And it's like, were you not <laughs> expecting this? Like we get this every year. I don't, I don't Canada. understand it. <laughs> yeah. In Canada. Yeah. <laughs> wild. That's awesome. Wild. But uh, thanks for being here. We don't have to talk about the weather too much. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Um, okay. Why don't you just go ahead, introduce yourself, tell people who you are and what it is that you do. All right. Well, uh, as Daniel said, I'm Coach Nick. Last name's Gomez. Um, I'm currently a strength and conditioning coach over at Onnit Gym ATX here in Austin, Texas. I've uh, been here for about a year. I've been affiliated with Onnit for about four years now, technically, um, because the gym I was previously working at was co-owned by... Um, future Hall of Fame UFC fighter, Cowboy Cerrone, who's sponsored by Onnit. So well, that was my affiliation with Onnit. We got to obviously have a lot of Onnit equipment at our gym. I got to come out to Onnit pretty frequently for certifications, which was awesome. Um, just a tremendous experience being over there. I couldn't have asked for a better mentor in uh, Lawrence Herrera, who's the head coach over there. Um, and then another guy, Esteban Lucero, um, big coach in Albuquerque. Those two guys, like I said, kind of got me directed on the right path. But without Performance Ranch in Albuquerque, that's the name of the gym I was at. Um, wouldn't have met them. Um, and then also wouldn't have been able to work with the, the UFC names that I was able to work with. So like I said, strength and conditioning coach, um, played college baseball, played baseball my whole life, uh, transitioning into, I still play baseball, um, but I've gotten into Muay Thai, a little, little combat sports uh, lately. And then uh, oddly enough, golf, been playing a lot of golf. So Muay Thai and golf don't typically go hand in hand, but that's kind of my shtick now. Muay Thai and golf seems like a, a good embodiment of the, uh, the warrior poet type thing, you know, yeah, yeah. the balance, you <laughs> yeah. know, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. That's awesome though. But yeah, you've worked with, you've definitely worked with, you know, some of the, the who's who and, and 
legitimately the best of the best in MMA, um, yeah. which which is amazing. And one thing that I kind of wanted to to talk to you about, and this is something that you mentioned to me. So you were the first person that I spoke to when I when I got to on it or when I visited last uh, yes, July, which is crazy to think how long it's been. We're already at the end of February. Oh yeah. But we had a brief conversation about meeting your heroes and how I was excited to to come to on it, and it, it felt like it, you know the place to be, and it's so great, and and you don't want to be let down when you have this big grand idea of something in your head and it didn't it lived up and exceeded all expectations and you had some experiences of that as well with meeting some really big names in in sport um so i just wanted to kind of get your get your thoughts on those and and what it's like to meet your heroes and some things you learned through that experience right um it was cool it was cool when you coming through the gym and that's one thing like every time i i I meet a new coach there and because I was that guy, you know, and uh, you're you're more established now than I was the first time I came through on it. Um, but I was just, you know, green, you know, young buck. Like I was like, this is on it, gym. Like this is amazing. And um, you know, the cool thing about it is every time I walk into the main gym area from the lobby, um, it still smells the same as the first time I got in there. And that always like triggers. Like I'm like, oh man, I am so grateful to be here. Um, so that like in that instance, like meeting your heroes or, or going to a gym that you know you only followed online really lived up to the hype and I'm glad it did the same for you. But yeah, there's been occasions where I've, I've met, met some heroes and it was like, Oh man, I kind of wish I didn't meet you. Um, but in the fight game, to be honest with you, everyone has been so much nicer than I was expecting. Um, you know, you, you work with some of these big tough dudes and some of them have like some interesting rap sheets outside of the octagon and you're like, Oh man, I don't know what to expect. And then you meet them. They're the nicest people. They're nothing but welcoming. Um, I haven't had too many bad experiences uh, other than, you know, a little disappointed by one, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave names out on that one. But it was, it was a guy uh, who actually really initially piqued my interest in MMA just because I heard so much about him and, and uh, he's a, a Muay Thai fighter by trade and then got into MMA and actually became a really good grappler and jujitsu practitioner. Um, but then I met him and I was like, kind of wish I didn't. You know, I kind of wish I still had this image of you up here. And now I'm just like, no, you're, you're, you're not all hyped up. You know what I mean? You're not, you didn't live up to the bill, but there are some fighters where I'm like, you're so much cooler than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And and it seems like that's a very common thread. And, and to me, having not met many high level athletes, especially in, in combat sports, it seems even more common in combat sports where people say like, oh no, this guy or this girl, she's, or he is super awesome outside of the gym. And I tend to believe it's like, you're in there getting beat up beating up your friends all day long every day like you don't have the time or the energy to to be an asshole outside of that right yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't most people don't um and the funny thing is like you said you're in there beating up your friends i think uh the odd thing about that is weird as it might sound to some people is that makes like better friendships like yeah. I, i've had some buddies that like sparring with and i'm like you kind of went at it today but i kind of respect you a little more for it you know what i mean yeah. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're, you're spot on, man. I mean, these fighters, and this is something I had to learn as far as the strength and conditioning side goes. Um, these fighters are killing themselves in the octagon already. Like you do not need to, you don't uh, kind of on the other side of that coin, you don't need to kill them in the gym right. because they're not there to be killed. Um, some of them are though. Some of them like just, they have that one gear mindset where it's like hard all the time. They have fast, it, it, all gas, no brakes. Right. And, um, and that, that, that's just a fighter mentality. They have to kind of be cold and extreme 
because I've worked with fighters that like during camps, like they don't do anything nice for themselves. There's no self-pleasure. There's no drinking. There's no smoking. There's nothing. And it, for them, it helps them build up that aggression. Right. Um, so it's just kind of weird. To see. And then you have some fighters that live it up while they're still in camp because they just want to enjoy the process. So it kind of depends on, I guess, where they're at in their career. Um, because like the younger fighters are definitely more aggressive but then you get these old established fighters that, that have been around the block a couple times and they're still champions they're still winners but they go about it much more methodically and uh they understand strength and conditioning isn't there to be another knife in the gut it's actually there to help them stay healthy right because the role of strength and conditioning in in mma or in any sport really is is like their sport is not strength and conditioning they're not crossfit athletes or power lifters or something so their sport is not weightlifting their right. sport is their sport, whether it be baseball, fighting, whatever it is. It's just there to supplement their training and make them better fighters, better baseball players, better hockey players, whatever it is. Right. So, you know, guys go in there and, and crush themselves and then they, you know, they're dragging ass at practice the next day and you wonder why. It's like, well, you, and then, and then the, the strength coach gets blamed for why'd you, why'd you squat them so heavy? Why are they deadlifting so heavy and all that kind of stuff? And at the same time, it is our job to rein those guys back in. There's some guys where you got to, you know, light a fire under their ass to kind of push it. And, but most guys at that high level, you probably have to rein them in a little bit more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because they want to go hard. Um, so reining them in, like you said, and kind of, you know, in that, in that same breath, I'm working with a, uh, a high school football athlete who is projected to be a big deal. Um, he, he goes to a high school here in town that, produced uh baker mayfield drew Brees. it's like quarterback high school and he's a quarterback there um but man his his dad like reaches out to me and is like you know he, he got slower in his 40 time like what do you think's going on and it's like well he's running track every day he has football every day you have him lifting twice with me a week you have him lifting um his high school program three days a week i'm like what is he doing for active recovery what is he doing to get like relaxed because he sent me a video of him running and uh tight hip flexors, no knee drive. I'm like, he's, he needs tissue work. Like yeah. I can sit here and Theragun him and tell him to foam roll all day, but he needs like a trained professional to get in there. And like I said, get some recovery done. And, um, that's the other end of the scope, right? Where it's like some kids are going too hard. And that's where that, that fighter mentality comes in and going too hard. And it's like, let's pump the brakes a little bit, take like a, a athlete centered approach and look at nutrition, look at mindfulness, look at recovery, and then look at the training. But I'm telling you, there's other things that like if, if they're not hitting those first three as far as like recovery, mindfulness um, and nutrition, then the training is only going to be, you know, what, maybe 60 percent effective compared to what it could be. If you're not hitting those other those other dynamics, like we got to We got to take a whole approach. And I think that's a mindset that's becoming more and more common um, with professional athletes, especially ones like MMA. You know, uh, MMA is a perfect example. It's kind of a, a newer sport. Right. You know, as far as especially as far as strength and conditioning goes, because it's so dynamic as far as the demands of it. Um, so there hasn't been like a traditional strength and conditioning camp for MMA. So we're, we're starting to take this approach, like I said, where you look at the whole picture for the athlete and uh, it's it's showing really good results. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And, and it's maturing in MMA or getting to a point or approaching maturity where it's maybe much more established in other sports. But that can also lead to bad things like you were just mentioning football lifting weights and being in the gym is very well established in football from the high school level all the way through but mm -hmm. at the same time you'll have you know parents and and older coaches where it's like no just squat bench deadlift every single day you know no, no days off no all gas no breaks again and it's like yeah you know these kids they're especially the younger kids the high school kids they're so fresh in training that if they do 
anything in the gym, they're they're going to get stronger because they have right. unlimited potential. They don't need complex programming and they certainly don't need to be lifting like five days a week on top of practice and on top of other sports. In fact, they might be even better off just not lifting at all and playing other sports and doing some mobility work and recovery stuff on those days instead of actually lifting, right? Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, that's what I did with, because uh, there's that kid, he's uh, part of a group of three, like I said, pretty high level uh, high school athletes that I'm training together. And so I put them through a durability session. They came in the other day, dragging ass. Two of them are, two of them are big time football players, but also run track um, just to kind of stay in shape. Right. And then uh, one of them is a baseball player. Uh, and I, I think he might run cross, cross country in the fall. Um, so all of them are multi-sport athletes, but they're just overtraining. And yeah. so the other day they came in, I, I, I had a nice program written up obviously for them. Um, but I just saw the way they're moving during warmups. And I was like, all right, guys, like we're not touching weights today. Like we're just going through a dirt. And that's the thing. Like I go through some of these workouts and it just, again, reminds me of how grateful I am to be at on it because the durability session I put them through was all stuff that I learned through on it. And it's like, man, like, I'm just, you know, I, we, we Theragun, I learned that routine from Theragun that came through on it and put the coaches through some, uh, some work there. Uh, we did some FRC work. We did some cars on their shoulders, their, their thoracic spine, stuff like that. So it's like all these opportunities or, or tools, I should say, um, in the tool belt. Like I got a lot of them from on it and, you know, I'm just super grateful to be there. So like I said, put them through a durability session, uh, and they, they felt great. And also same thing with a, uh, I have a, a distance runner and he is like, man, you know, I'm, I'm up to like 45 miles. This is Wednesday. He's, up, he's like, I'm up to 45 miles this week, but I, you know, I should be closer to 60. And he's like, I just, I'm, I'm just so tired. And I'm like, what are you doing after your runs? What are you doing at home? I don't know. Usually laying down for a little while after my run and, you know, probably grab some food. I'm like, so you're not foam rolling. You're not stretching. You're not doing anything. He's like, just kind of like half smirks. He's like, cause he's, he's just now starting to get into Goggins. And right. so he's like trying to, and I'm like, I was like, wait till you get to the end of the book when he talks about how important stretching is. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you've read uh, Goggins' book or have listened to it by chance. I, I but, uh, but yeah, it's phenomenal. But uh, it's extreme. It's not for everyone. I'll tell you that. I loved it, but I could definitely see where some people would be like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, at the end, towards the end of the book, he's talking about his like distance running and how um, vital stretching was to it because he thought that his body was just like shutting down. He's like, well, I guess I can't run anymore. And so that's what I was telling this guy. And I'm like, dude, you need to do more. So I same thing, put him through a durability session. He came in the next week. He's like, dude, my runs this weekend were phenomenal. And I was like, the recovery, weird. <laughs> like who knew? What a concept. Yeah. Don't yeah. go hard all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for, for athletes of any sport. It's so easy to go hard. It's not easy to, to hit the brakes a little bit and do the things that you need to do. Your mobility work, your breath work, your recovery, your ice baths, your, you know, all of the other things that need to happen to, to support that. Uh, mm -hmm. extreme athletic endeavor, whatever it is. And all of these guys who go super hard always talk about it. And it's just, it's just not that cool. And that's why it, it kind of gets missed among the youth. It's like, no, nah, I just want to, I just want to bench press every single day. Right. But you gotta, you gotta work on that shoulder. If you don't pay attention to that shoulder, you bench press every day. That's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, I, like I said, couldn't agree more. Yeah. And you see, like I see you, you brought up a good point. Uh, when I just want to bench press more. I just want to be bigger one of the kids that I trained, he brought up a, uh, uh, he's like, Oh, we're doing some core work. He's like, all right, cool. Uh, spring breaks in two weeks. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm like, all right, I get it. You know, I, I was 16 once as well. And sure. I understand that, but yeah, man. Um, I, I think, I think recovery is, is becoming a bigger and bigger. I mean, look at, I, that's, and this is what I told to the kid's dad when he had messaged me about his concerns. I'm like, 
LeBron James spends a legendary amount of money every year just on recovery. Yeah. Like he spends more than most people's salaries on recovery alone. Yeah. So it's like there's there's obviously the greatest in the world is doing it. Like shouldn't don't you think your son should take advantage of some stuff he has to like that he could have uh, access to? Exactly. And uh, if you watch if you watch some videos of LeBron lifting, like it's not even that it's not really that impressive either. It's not super heavy, not like lifting hundreds of pounds and cranking. Like he's doing the things that he needs to do that are very specific to him that yep. allow him to be a better basketball player, not to be a better squatter. That doesn't help him be better at basketball, right? And right. so, you know, that that part of the nuance, I think, is often missed as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, you see it in, in and that's, all, that's the way it should be. And right. that's what I tell a lot of these kids. I'm like, our workouts aren't going to be sexy Instagram workouts, but they're <laughs> going to be effective. Uh, but it's like the, like the recovery work. It's it's slow. It's boring. Um, and like I said, you, you don't want to post it to Instagram, but, you know, that's the stuff behind the scenes that is going to get your results. So that's the, you know, LeBron James not lifting a ton. That's and, and then it comes to lifting, uh, you know, accordingly to your sport. Right. right. Um, it's not going to do a baseball player any justice to have a gigantic chest. Yeah, exactly. It matters I think, not. I think uh, Joe Burrow said something about this in the lead up to the Super Bowl, where the, the quote was something along the lines of, you know, to any young players out there, you know, do your workouts, do them well, and like consistently do them. Don't worry about posting them on Instagram and then take seven days off. Like that's not how you train. Get in the gym, do your work, and do it every single day. Don't don't just do it for Instagram. That's not that's not the way to get to the Super Bowl, to the big leagues, or to whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Right. Yeah. Tell me the last time Tom Brady, you know, power cleaned 245 pounds. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe sure, never. Probably never. Right. Yeah. I mean, looking at him, it's like, when did he, did he ever squat 315? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a beast with the bands. I'm sure, you know, like that guy's a Pilates monster. Exactly. Um, and it works for him. And it works for him. Same, same thing with Jake Arietta, who, uh, you know, a Texas kid, um, played at TCU, uh, Cy Young winner with the Cubs, but he, that was his big thing was Pilates. And as a pitcher, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, you want to lift. You want to, you want to have that lower body drive, but having the mobility to like harness that's the strength that you are building, that's gonna pay off big time. Yeah, absolutely. There, everything has its has its place in some in some way. I think a lot of the part that is misread about these kind of things is someone says, "Oh, the Tom Brady, the TB12 workout. It's all this band shit and all you know, doing these things. Oh, I'm gonna do that too." You are not Tom Brady and you don't play in the NFL. Like you need to move some weights and like do very different things than Tom Brady does because your job is to move better and feel better and be stronger and healthier, not to be a better football player. Tom Brady's workout helps him be a better football player. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like, I, I preach this all the time at on it. I'm like, man, you guys, yeah, you see on Instagram, someone doing like a 63 inch box jump and it's dope, right? Like I guarantee you, he doesn't train that way. He just did it one time for a video. Yes. It's like, let's, let's build some athleticism to get a better box jump, but let's check our egos at the door because we're not going to be doing 63 inch box jumps. Yeah. Those things are displays of strength and they're cool. And it's, and it's nice to, to test yourself every once in a while. I went through a little bit of this, like a few or a couple months ago where I just had to finish like a huge block of training and I just wanted to get in the gym and just test myself, squat, bench, deadlift, see how much I can lift. And it, well, that wasn't training. It was just like, let me just, let's just see. Cause I'm curious. And I want to see what it's going to be like. And it was yeah. great and it was fun and whatever, but like, that's certainly not training. It was, it was horrible training. It was, it was just fun to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, and it's always good to test that every now and then I had yeah. a random deadlift max test the other day just cause I was feeling good. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what? I haven't tested my deadlift max in a while. Also, it'd be pretty good to know for percentages. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only time it's really beneficial to max out is to get percentages for certain lifts. Um, 
but even that, like at my age, I'm, I mean, I'm 34 now. I shouldn't say that like I'm old, but I was also a baseball player and I golf now. And, and even with the, the, the MMA that I do, it doesn't benefit me to do a, a gigantic barbell bench press. No, you know what I'm saying like, there's no reason for me to go out and put 225 on and see how many reps I can get. Like, no, that's not going to benefit me. Yeah. But for my sports, I do, I, I'm still going to, you know, try to deadlift a house and I'm still going to squat a lot. Cause I think, you know, for most rotational sports, which again, you can kind of argue any sports rotational because even running, there's slight elements of rotation, but um, specifically golf, baseball, like having a big, strong lower body is going to benefit you. Yeah. In, in almost think, any sport and, and almost anyone in any aspect of life. It's like, we don't need to get so specific on you must barbell back squat. You must deadlift a, a straight barbell off the floor. Like we don't need to do those things, but you need to hinge. You need to squat in some capacity and it should get pretty heavy and and heavy is of course relative not everybody needs to squat 315 deadlift 405 like you don't need to do those things but you know you're stronger and anyone like you are stronger than deadlift or squatting a 20 pound goblet squat you can you can do more than that i promise you yeah 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 but like i said you know sometimes it doesn't call for that you know i i especially any like overhead throwers like you say volleyball baseball football whatever um mma too um I'm, I'm not doing a lot of barbell back squats. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to put my shoulders in that compromise position. Same thing with a barbell deadlift, a, a straight bar deadlift, like having your shoulders in front. Sure. That's all fine and dandy. Like having that traditional grip, but if you can get on a trap bar, put your shoulders in a less compromised position, you're going to pull more weight and it's going to be safer. Exactly. And especially for, for those athletes, like you just mentioned, uh, basketball, volleyball, baseball pitchers, maybe they're very tall. It's a yeah. long way down to the floor to <laughs> squat to depth, which doesn't really help them in their sport as much and, and deadlifting off that, off the ground. Like that's a long movement, a lot of central nervous system fatigue that's going in. That's again, just not helping them with their sport. And so we can just make adjustments, still get the same strength and muscular effects without having, with having less of the negative effects. Yep. Thousand percent couldn't agree more. Um, but I tell you what, the you, you know seeing seeing old six foot five Johnny Johnny Bones Jones do a squat was still pretty impressive. I mean that guy's got some, that guy's strong man. That's a strong individual. He's got some thin legs, but yeah. he's a beast. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think he self self proclaimed he has little chicken legs, and and yeah, he doesn't he doesn't look like a very strong. He's obviously he's got a big body, big long guy, but he doesn't look like a very thick strong guy. But he can move some weight, some serious weight. For, for yeah, not a weightlifter, yeah, he can really get after it. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's deadlifting north of 600, if I'm not mistaken. And that's on a barbell. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's a big, strong dude. I mean, genetically, the guy is super gifted. I always compare him to, like, Michael Phelps as far as you see him walking down the street. They probably look a little goofy, yeah. but their bodies are perfect for their sport. Yeah. 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 Michael Phelps, is, I like said, you know, just long, long, lanky, goofy guy, just like John. John's gotten pretty thick, man. He's, he's, he's getting up to heavyweight and I'm excited to see that. I think he's going to, he's going to do some damage up there. Yeah. I, I think so too. I'm, I'm super excited to see it. I like, I'm really interested to see how he moves at that heavier weight. I think it will be okay because he's taken so long. So many yeah. guys move up and wait in like six months, eight months and you can tell that they just look heavy. I'm sure that John will look heavier, but I think he'll carry it well. And this is like, I know nothing about it just other than, than whatever I've seen on Instagram about it. You definitely have a little bit more insight on it, uh, but I think he'll, he'll carry the weight well. Yeah. And um, again, I think you bring up a great point. The fact that he's taken time to do it, like he's walked around with this weight for almost two years now because yeah. outside of camp, he was probably like I said, so he was at light heavyweight, which is 205 for listeners that might not know. Um, and he was probably outside of camp walking around like 235, 240. So he's never like a thin, thin guy outside of camp. Um, but now he's like two, probably like 250, 255, but 
muscular, like thick. And I, I've seen some videos of him moving around. Um, unfortunately enough, I'm, I'm still very good friends with his photographer. So he'll send me some behind the scenes stuff every now and then. And, uh, he's moving good. I don't see, I don't see a lot of people at heavyweight that are going to either a outstrike him or B out grapple him. Um, and he still has the longest reach in MMA. So yeah. even going up to heavyweight, he's got a longer reach than anyone up there. And just skill for skill. Like we saw with Cyril Gon versus Francis Ngannou, like one might say that Cyril has a little bit better movement than Francis, but certainly John is way more technical than both of those guys. And if he can move even half as well, which I'm sure he can probably move better than them. That's not a good night for either of those guys. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not. And, uh, you, you know, you bring up a good fight or a good point because the fight between Cyril Ghanan and Ganu, um, it's like, so say, let's say by chance, I don't think Cyril Ghan can outstrike John, but Cyril Ghan's a phenomenal striker, Muay Thai <laughs> fighter by trade, um, just a, a tremendous athlete, honestly, for that weight. Um, I don't, I still don't think he'll outstrike John, but if by some chance he does, like seeing how Ngannou was able to control him on the ground, it's like uh, John would have a field day. Because right, John's, right. John was a, a junior college national champion in wrestling. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think he still might be the only fighter to have ever taken down Daniel Cormier. I could be wrong on that. but I, I uh, believe Stipe may have done it once, but I might just be making that up as well. But it's you're right. It's a very short list. Yeah, it's, it's a very short, distinguished yeah. list. Um, so, I mean, that just goes to show that like if either of those guys or even Stipe, to be honest with you, if any of those three guys give John trouble on the feet, which I don't see happening. John could easily take him down and have his way with them, um, especially at that size. And I, you, you, you hit on a good point because I think what really separates John from most fighters is his fight IQ. I mean, he's just so creative in the octagon. He sees he's not one step ahead. He's five steps ahead. He sees things before they happen. He's trying things that like I remember he was fighting um, Anthony Smith uh, from from Denver and uh, light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Smith was kind of like crumpled up on a ball, like his butt was on the ground, his back was up against the cage. And John's like holding up his head and throwing knees to his body. And he's like, it's like, who does that? Like yeah. he, he, when he fought uh, Tiago, uh, Tiago Santos, he's throwing like jumping leg kicks. It's like, who does that? Especially at that weight and that size. Yeah. It's like, he's doing things that like, they're going to have to go back into the video games and re-enter them because it's like, <laughs> all right, well, someone is doing this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those kind of fights kind of got a little bit like shit on where it's like, oh, John didn't John didn't finish them. He wasn't as dominant. But if you like, I remember watching them and like he's kind of playing around here. He's just trying stuff. And that's not a slight to those other guys. There's obviously they're obviously fantastic fighters among the best of the best in the world. But it's like he's just he's his brain is thinking a couple steps ahead, like you mentioned. And he's just playing with things. He is well in control of everything that's going on here and just wants to test out the waters but a perfect example of a, of just a special athlete who maybe after his career his training methods will will come out and we'll talk about it and people will try and copy it and it's like you're just because you copy john's strength and conditioning workout that will translate almost zero <laughs> to yeah to you becoming even close to as good of a fighter as john or as good of an athlete overall because that's not right. what makes him good his strength and conditioning supports his fighting but it's his fighting that makes him a good fighter Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like, and that's, that should be most strength and conditioning programs should support, support you off or outside the gym. Um, but yeah, I mean, John's just, John's gifted, gifted. And I mean, he has two brothers that are Super Bowl champs, his brother Chandler, who's up with still with the Cardinals. I mean, if it wasn't for Aaron Donald, Chandler Jones would probably have like four 
three or four defensive player of the year awards. Yeah. But Aaron Donald, you know, future Hall of Famer. Chandler Jones, a future Hall of Famer as well. Mm-hmm. But he won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. And then his brother, Arthur, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. So, you know, John's the runt. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> yeah. He's the runt, you know. Yeah. And uh, he's, you know, the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest MMA fighter of all time. I mean, you look at his one loss and A, most fighters don't regard it. Anyone that knows the sport don't regard that as a loss. Um he threw an illegal elbow that he didn't know was illegal at the time. He was a young fighter. He went straight to, he went straight professional. He didn't have any MMA fight or any mm-hmm. amateur fights. Um, so he went straight to professional fighting. And uh, so he didn't know it was an illegal elbow. And then the guy that he was fighting, um, Hamill, I can't remember. His, Matt, I want to say Matt Hamill, Matt, but he, Matt um, Mark, yeah. what's that? Yeah, I think it was Matt. Yeah. Matt or Mark maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he, he was a deaf, deaf fighter. Um, and so I was, I was actually talking to John about this and he's like, I don't think he wanted out of that fight. I just think he had blood in his eyes and he didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand what the ref was asking him. He's like, I don't think he intentionally wanted out of that fight. Um, but yeah. And so, like I said, most fighters don't really regard that as a loss for John. Um, so if you look at it that way, I mean, he's basically undefeated and he's defended his nothing against Khabib. I I've never worked with him or anything like that, obviously, but Khabib only defended the title, what, four or five times and against uh, some good names. But it's like John defied, de- has defended the title like a dozen times and he's defeated, I believe, seven ex-champions. Yeah. So it's across, like John, across a couple of generations as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's beat the who's who of that weight class. And and a lot of those times he beat a bad. Like I said, recently, his most recent fights have been more technical, like tactician, um, especially with I don't know if you watched the fight with Tiago Alves or sorry, mm-hmm. Tiago Santos. Um, but he tore him apart, literally. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he had significant ligage, ligament damage in both of his knees. I think, I think so. one knee tore LCL, MCL, and ACL. And I think the other leg, um, I don't remember which ligaments he tore, but he tore some, he had significant damage in both knees. And it's like, John just picked him apart. Yeah. And that's what he did to Anthony Smith as well. He finished Gustafson um, on their rematch and, and a TKO finished him on the ground. But yeah, John just picked those dudes apart and, and kind of had his way with them. Sure, yeah. it wasn't like a sexy dynamic finish, but if, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read somewhere um, he has more minutes in the octagon than significant strikes absorbed. Like he just doesn't get hit hard. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it was insane. an insane stat. But it's like that's just he's, he's the greatest fighter in my opinion. Yeah, to ever I'm, set I'm, I'm 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 with you for sure. And again, you know, you know your knowledge of the sport of MMA, like legitimate sport, is way above mine. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I regard John as the as the greatest of all time as well. Of course, you know he's he's made his mistakes and, and done what he's done. But but. As a pure athlete, he's completely fantastic and, and a pleasure to watch perform. I think yeah. it brings up a good conversation, though, about about genetics. And we can talk about this in the context of professional athletes and real people. You see kind of guys who, who by real people, I mean, <laughs> like general population, people like you and I, not pro athletes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, um, you know, you, you see guys, and I'm sure you know some of them, they, they go to the gym for, you know, two years and they, and they get a little bit of muscle and they're like, oh, I just don't have good genetics it's like hold on a second you haven't even scratched the surface of your genetics john jones is a guy who has great genetics and an exceptional uh work ethic and that's why he's the best of the best there are plenty of guys with great genetics and shit work ethics who don't make it and there's plenty of guys with uh amazing work ethics and amazing work ethic and terrible genetics who make it as well but we don't (laughs) most of us don't even scratch the surface of what's possible and then we're people are you know, blaming supplements, blaming diet, blaming something else, looking for steroids and anabolics and these things just to get bigger as like a general regular person. I don't get it. 
Right. Yeah. And that's what, um, I don't know if you, uh, follow or know who, uh, Dr. Lane Norton is. Um, mm-hmm. that's one thing he talks about all the time. He's like, I've been, I've been doing this for 15 years or however long I've been doing it. But he's like, I didn't, you don't see things for eight years, 10 years. You know, it's like, it's the, it's the everyday again, behind the scenes work. Um, and yeah, I, you know, John's work ethic is second to none in the weight room. Um, I was very fortunate to watch a lot of his like sparring and pad sessions and he's just, he's so methodical and he's so dedicated and you know, we're doing, say we're doing a broad jump and he jumps, just throwing out random numbers. Say he jumps nine, five on a broad jump. You better believe he's trying to get nine, six, the next one. He's trying to get nine, seven, the one after that. And I've trained some fighters that have all the skill in the world and they've been doing it for a while and they've, they, you know, have established careers, but they're doing bunny hops. Like they're just going <laughs> through the motions. They're like, all right. Like, and it's, it's always funny to me, kind of like I've trained some, I've worked with some, uh, like high level, like uh, cyclists, endurance cyclists, endurance athletes. And they're, they're always obviously worry, weary to put on weight. They're like, oh, I don't want to get big. I don't want to get big, but it's funny to me to meet fighters that say the same thing. They're like, oh, I don't see the benefit of strength and conditioning. Like, I don't want to get big. And I'm like, okay, you sound like the girl that doesn't want to get jacked. They're like, oh, I don't want to look like this muscle building or this bodybuilding chick. It's like, you won't, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I guarantee you, you won't. With a little bit of work you're putting in, you won't look like that. Yeah, yeah. Two two full body workouts and a cycling class once a week is not gonna is not gonna make you look like a bodybuilder. Like, if you yep. and this is, you know, I think a lot of this comes from a, a place of ignorance as well. Like, they just don't know. Like, if if everyone knew how hard it, you had to work and the things you had to do to look like someone who's too muscly, you would understand. Like, okay, this is certainly not going to happen by accident. You're right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm safe. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that we kind of, we kind of have to overcome, but I think that, you know, I, I think the way that you guys do things at on it actually combats this really well in that you train mostly full body things in a very much like functional. And that's kind of a loose term that doesn't mean a whole lot, but like in a functional way that like promotes athleticism and promotes ability rather than aesthetics or the way someone, someone looks and their body is shaped. It promotes or it's focused on what can your body do? And I think that's the best way to train for, for almost everyone. Right. Yeah. I, I again, I, right there with you. Um, I always describe people like when, you know, if I'm giving a tour or I have a new, new member coming in or whatever the case may be, and they kind of ask about it and the way the gym is set up, you walk in and you're like, Oh, CrossFit. Just yeah. cause we have rigs, we have squat racks, we have aerodyne bikes, rowers, skiers, all that stuff. And uh, so a lot of people ask like, Oh, is this like a CrossFit style workout? And I'll explain it as, it's CrossFit tempo, but with functional training, like we're not, we're not going to be doing barbell snatches. We're not going to be doing barbell, uh, clean and jerks or anything like that. Or sure as shit, not going to be seeing how fast you can do 10 barbell snatches. <laughs> like I, my first certification was for Olympic lifting. And that's why I kind of have like a, a sour taste in my mouth towards CrossFit. Yeah. Uh, cause I just, I just think the risk reward for Olympic lifting is, you know, it's high. Yeah. And, um, if, if, if you're doing it for like speed and stuff like that, it's like, it just significant. If I ever go back to get my doctorate and I, and I end up doing a thesis, like it'll be on the increase of workout related injuries since CrossFit's become mainstream. Yeah. Like that's 1000%. Like I've, I would love to see some articles on that. Yeah. I, 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 I've never really done CrossFit myself. Of course I've you know done the Olympic lifts and played around with them, not to any like real high degree, but just for curiosity more than anything. And it's like, 
I think that CrossFit does an amazing job of building a community around yes. exercise and like healthy lifestyle and all that stuff. And it's like, it's fantastic. I, I, I want to give the CrossFit community the benefit of the doubt and say that it's done more good than bad for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, like doing, you know, 10 barbell snatches for time or, you know, whatever it is, is like most people don't have the prerequisite mobility, strength and exercise proficiency to even do this like barely even with a dowel, never mind an empty barbell and never mind like a a loaded barbell. So that, that seems problematic to me. It's like CrossFit is a sport the same way that basketball is a sport, the same way that football is a sport. You don't just show up once a week and go play full tackle football with your, with your buddies with no equipment on. Like that's not how it works, but we have beginners in the gym to CrossFit throwing, throwing big weights up over their head. doesn't really make sense to me either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your point, I will give it credit. It's gotten people active. Yeah. It builds a tremendous community, almost cult-like community, yeah. as I'm sure you've seen in the fitness industry. Uh-huh. Like some people can't wait to tell you about what they do for CrossFit. It's like they might as well be a vegan at that point. <laughs> can't wait to tell you they're a vegan. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I said, to to their credit, then and, and there are I've I've come across some CrossFit lifters that will come into on it, and it's like they're very proficient lifters. But like mm-hmm. you said, there's prerequisites. The best of the best, of course, right? Right. They're also, yeah, like, there are prerequisites for, for the gen pop that like, you have to earn it. You want to, you want to do a snatch with a barbell. You have to earn that. Right. You can't just go in there and, and you don't deserve it. You got to earn that. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I, I, I fully believe in that. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I've also enjoyed about on it when I was there and, and from previous is all the quote unquote unconventional equipment and things like kettlebells, which are much more mainstream now, but even the maces and the clubs and these things, which promote different types of movement using loads that are not that heavy for anyone but yeah. they get you to do these moves that look cool but are also useful to what we to what you know a human body should move like right yeah loading in awkward positions uh especially for sport or for everyday life um tremendously beneficial i mean you want to talk about like holding a kid like you're walking through an airport holding a baby or a suitcase or whatever you're loading in awkward positions and uh i think i said i think that's more applicable to like everyday life i'm of course in in a lot of sports, especially MMA, like you're going to be loaded in awkward positions just because of the nature of the sport. Yeah. Um, so these unconventional tools like clubs, steel maces and stuff, they kind of help you build strength through those positions. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, I mean, you know, I, we've, we talked about Brian earlier and, uh, I mean, you watch that guy flow with the steel mace and, and then you see him in person and it's like, Holy cow. Like this guy looks like a night, a mid nineties, college middle linebacker you know what i mean like if you ever seen that movie the program it's like that's who he looks like he is gigantic but then he flows with the steel mace and it's it's art you know what i mean it's just tremendous to see what he's doing out there and uh like i said i i think that yeah you know the the unconventional tools are something i think we're going to see more and more of yeah and and for for those uh listening Nick was referencing Brian. He was on, I can't remember 30 something episode, but yeah. whatever you'll, you'll find his Instagram there. And like, he's been posting some stuff of like his flows with the steel mace. And, and Brian is a, he's a big body, big muscly dude, big beard. And, and yeah. he flows and moves so gracefully. It's, it's very impressive. It's not something that you would expect from someone who's, who's just that big, right? You expect these from smaller people who look limber and all this kind of stuff. And, and Brian is very much that, um, he's very much but, a lumberjack. Yeah, exactly. The the yeah. mobile mammoth, which I think is a perfect a perfect name uh, for him. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, the, the way when we talk about like offset loading and kind of these things, when we think about regular life, this is also 
reg- or more so where injuries happen in day-to-day life. No one's getting hurt walking in a straight line or picking up a box that's like, you know, mid-height perfectly in front of you and you lift it up a little bit. It's when you're picking up something that's not that heavy but you kind of lazily bend over and it's a little bit far away from you and it's a, a weird weight. Bag of dog food, perfect example. Yeah. Like a, you know, a, a, a jug of water where the water is moving around somehow or, you know, a kid who's squirming around in your arms. Yep. That's where we get hurt, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of always been my big um and this was actually, to be honest with you, it was kind of something that I needed to work on coming into on it because I was really big on living life outside of gym walls. Like what we do inside the gym should prepare you for what we're doing outside the gym. And in, and to my fault is because I was working with a lot of athletes. And it's like, so I think of like, how, how is our workout going to benefit you what you do outside the gym? Because you're not, you're not living for that hour. We're in the gym. You're living 23 other hours the rest of the day. Right. Right. Um, but coming to on it, there are gym athletes. It's like, that is their sport. Like yeah. we talked about CrossFit, like that is their sport. That's what they're there for. They might not, they, they might be working 60 hours a week and they're not able to go out and play in rec league softball or out, go out and golf or whatever the case may be. Um, but in Albuquerque, it's like, we had a lot of mountain bikers. We had a lot of hunters. I, that was one thing I never thought to train was hunters, hmm. but it's like, they're, they're packing meat out. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're right. hiking a lot. And that's something I was like, duh, it makes perfect sense. They should be training. Um, so that's where I kind of, you know, the last gym that I was at in Albuquerque, um, really helped me like develop that mindset of live life beyond gym walls. Um, and that's something that I've, I've definitely taken with me of like, how is, how are our workouts going to benefit your daily life? Yeah. There's, there's a great video I saw it years ago and I think it was called 23 hours or 23 and a half hours or something like that. And it was based on exactly this. It's like, okay, you work out once a day for 30 minutes for an hour. And then you do nothing. You eat like shit and you sit on your ass the rest of the day. And it's like, well, what are we, what are we really accomplishing here? And so I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's mostly about all the stuff that we're doing outside of the gym. Yep. What are some of the things that you think are like the most important tenants that average people can start implementing outside of the gym? Deadlift, you know, like think about it. Like I said, dog food, groceries, kids, like you learn a good deadlift pattern and you don't have to deadlift the house. Right. But just learn that good pattern. Um, Cause that, like you said, so many people are going to get hurt picking up a water jug, picking up a kid, anything, learn that good deadlift hinge pattern. Um, and also that's another one that like athletically speaking is a tremendously beneficial movement. It, you know, you're working on hip drive. There's different ways you can play with it for like unilateral work and be explosive with it, or you know, obviously get heavy with it, things like that. So for the everyday person, like, for the gen pop, you know, it's like, if you learn to deadlift, you're, you're, you're doing something, you're doing a very beneficial movement that a aesthetically, I, you know, you know, someone that deadlifts, you can tell someone that deadlifts, but B like functionally speaking, try to find a be- a more functional lift. That's going to, you know, that has real world application. Yeah. I don't know. You, I, you tell I, me what are your thoughts? Yeah. I no, I totally agree with you. I think, I think the deadlift is 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 easily the most functional of all exercises it's it's forcing you to organize your body in such a way that we don't normally organize our body and one thing that i often say is pretend you're doing every lift like it's 500 pounds yes Yes. you can pick up this dowel or these dumbbells that are 15 pounds you can get up there any which way you want but what if it was 500 pounds you wouldn't do that so focus on organizing your body and coordinating your whole body to to perform this lift efficiently and it's going to translate to to, to every other lift. And like you said, you know, people who deadlift, you, you look at their body and you know, oh, that, that person, they deadlift. It's like, you've got the, you know, the, what do people call it? The, the, 
the go muscles, not the show muscles. You know, you see a guy right. with like big, big biceps, big, big triceps, and maybe some, uh, you know, big, big chest, but like no traps, no forearms and, and no legs. And it's like, okay, that guy's probably not that, probably not that strong. Yeah. But you see a guy with, you know, decently sized arms, big forearms, big traps and big legs. Like that's a strong person. Huge ass. Yep. Yeah. Huge ass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. know what? That guy probably has calves. The guy with exactly. the big chest probably doesn't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No one ever, I don't think anyone ever really got big calves by like going to the gym, doing 12 sets on the little calf raise machine, 12 reps of whatever. Like that's not how you get big calves. And, and people, no. like this is another thing that people blame genetics. Oh, it's my genetics. I have small calves. No, you don't lift heavy. You don't sprint. You don't climb. That's how you get big calves. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. As yeah. Sprinting, climbing. Um, for me, it was baseball people because, yeah. you know, I, I pivot. Yeah. Pivot. Yeah. Well, I was a catcher too. So right. like I, me like people are like oh did you have big calves like what do you what do you do and I'm like oh I played baseball like that's a life thing that like you're not gonna be able to replicate I had a similar yeah. conversation um with my girlfriend she she was a college soccer player and she's a strength coach as well and she's like man I always have you know girls tell me they want my legs my hamstring my my butt for you know lack of better terms but uh <laughs> it's like those are things like you sprint a ton you were a yeah. soccer player your whole life and also like she lifts a ton as well, but it's like, those are kind of things. It's like, you're, it's going to be really hard to replicate that, especially at this age. Like had you started sprinting at 12 years old, you might be in a different position, exactly. but uh, yeah, there's, there's certain things where it's like, I have big calves because I've squatted for 25 years. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's, un, that's mostly baseball squatting, obviously a lot of weight room squatting as well, but that's like a sport thing. You know what I mean? Like people are going to have just different body parts because of the sport they play and what the, what that sport requires. Of course. And it's thousands and thousands of repetitions over a long period of time. It's not, it's not three sets of 12 once a week in the gym. Like that's, yep. <laughs> that's not how, it, that's not how it happens. These things take a fuckload of repetitions over yeah, a very I long wish. amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> if it was that I easy, wish. everyone, everyone would be walking around super jacked, but they're not. So, <laughs> so they're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not. And, uh, man, I mean, I would love to, you know, I don't, you know, that day I, I, I walked through the pearly gates as I like walk through, I'd be like, Hey, just out of curiosity, how many squats did I do in my life? Like, just tell me how many times did I squat? Is it in the millions? Cause I feel yeah. like it's in the millions right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's so funny. It's another thing that I think about, you know, when training clients too, sometimes people will say, I look so easy when you do it. It's like, yeah, but I've done this like thousands of times. Also, it's my job. It should look easy when I do it. If I can't do it well, then I'm not very good at what I'm doing. But right. with this many repetitions, you will also look like this. I'm not some special human that just invented squatting that I figured out a way to do it. No, I just practiced it shitload and that's why it looks the way it does. Right. Yeah. And and that's a, a perfect point because anytime to younger coaches that might be listening, anytime you're demonstrating anything to a client or, or a class or anything like that, it better not be the first time you've done it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, if I'm, especially like me, like you, you get into some of these like more rotational and trickier movements it's like it better not be the first time you've done it demoing because like i said you you hear it all the time from clients like oh man you make that look so easy like well shit i did i did 15 of them yesterday so you know like I, i'm practicing what i preach here yeah. i didn't just see this on youtube and i'm like i'm gonna make my client do that yeah and i think that you know even just to, to double down on what you just said about not doing something for the first time as a coach it's like it's not it's not like some elitist thing that you have to be perfect if you don't know how to do an exercise then you don't know how to do an exercise but the, the problem is if you don't know how to do it and you're trying to coach it if you yep. can't even do it yourself, there's no way that you can one safely have that client do that exercise, especially if it's some weird rotational balance thing. Like if you can't even do it yourself, how are you going to be able to correct them doing it? And I yeah. think that is the biggest, that is the biggest aspect of that. 
Yeah. And also you should know how it feels to, to right. do it properly. Cause that's one, one of the biggest questions I ask my clients is where do you feel that? And I better know where they should feel it because if they tell me something different, yeah. I better know how to fix it. Yes. Right. If like, if we say again, going back to the deadlift or say we're doing a, a single leg RDL and they don't feel it in their hammy and glute, but they're like, ah, you know, my low back or whatever, my quads are burning up. It's like, okay, well, this is what we're mechanically, this is where we're at and what we what we need to be. So, um, yeah. So young coaches listening, like practice what you preach. I don't want to say look the part because I've met some very good strength coaches that look like truck drivers. Um, speaking of which go Canada. Um, but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, but so like I said, just know what you're doing and know, know how it feels. That's one thing I think like, like we talked about earlier, I'm not the most anatomical guy. I'm not going to go out here and be like, Oh, you should feel this here, here and here. But it's like, I know how the body moves and I know how things should feel. And I feel like that's something I've always been good at. I was talking to, uh, a client of mine who played baseball for 10 years, major league baseball. And he was telling me the same thing. He's like, no, you're really good at what you do. And I was like, honestly, I think it comes from when I was younger. Um, I don't know what, what sports you played growing up, but I played a lot of baseball, obviously. And I'm up there. I'm trying to imitate Ken Griffey Jr. Swing. I'm trying to like see how his body's moving and how my body can move the same way. And so like, I think that really helped me learn how the body should move and where people should feel certain things. Yeah. Yeah. I played, I played soccer mostly growing up and a little bit of hockey and a little bit of everything, but Soccer was like my main sport and it was the same thing where it's like trying to, once I kind of got to an age where it's like, oh, I want to actually like be good at this. Then I was trying to imitate certain movements and trying different things. And it's like, oh, that, that felt weird. Don't do that. Let yeah. me try it this way. Oh, that felt like it, that felt like the way it should feel. And look, I, I, I hit the ball better. I did, you know, whatever I did better. And so, yeah, it, but understanding your body takes a lot of, takes a lot of practice as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Understanding your body. And then I think that's where good coaches come in is you start to understand other people's bodies. Like, oh, there's a reason, like, you know, I, I, there's a coach, Lauren Landau, he's a strength coach for the Broncos, has a tremendous training facility in Denver called Landau Performance. Um, if you're a young coach and you're looking for good content online, look up Lauren, Lauren Landau, uh, Landau Performance and uh, Eric Telly, tremendous um, strength and conditioning coach, especially with MMA. Um, but anyway, he, he's been training Christian McCaffrey since he was, I mean, because his dad, um, Ed McCaffrey played for the Broncos. So he's been training Christian McCaffrey for years. And you look at Christian McCaffrey, his mechanics, it's like, he's got a long torso and short femurs. It's like that. He sh like, theoretically speaking, shouldn't be able to move the way he moves on a football field, yeah. but he's just been hammering for years. And he's just so precise and so technical um, that he's able to, and he, he's obviously, you know, one of the best in the game and, you know, pretty consistently high fantasy draft pick. But um <laughs> That's that's one of those things. It's like you got to understand bodies and how they can move. I will I will say that Christian's injuries over the past two years have hurt me dearly in fantasy. But yeah. <laughs> but but I still but I still love the guy. <laughs> Stay healthy, Christian. We need yeah. you. I got I got twenty yeah. bucks on this season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no. But you're right. You're right. The, those fundamental movements and and tailoring them to each individual's body, whether you're a pro athlete or not, uh, you need to understand how your body works and do things that are good for your body, not just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. Which yeah. leads me to 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 a lob that I wanna that I wanna just I wanna just throw it out there and I want you to go off on this because I know that you will. In terms of functional movements, how how highly would you rank the burpee? Oh, let's say there's two thousand functional movements. Burpees would be uh, th number three thousand on that list. <laughs> okay, I, there's no place for them in strength and conditioning, and especially like in the application that a lot of coaches use them. It's like you're using them as a finisher 
or you're using them as punishment in sport, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, you, you didn't do well on a test or your teacher talked to me like you owe me a hundred burpees after practice. You are asking for injuries. A, they're already fatigued, whether you're using it as punishment or for, or for a, a finisher type movement in a workout. It's like, they're already fatigued. You're asking for someone to flail about uncontrollably and then try to prop themselves back up, jump and, and then land back down in a pushup. It's like mechanically speaking, especially once fatigue is set in, like you're just begging for injuries. And also it's like, where's the benefit? How's that going to, there's so many other things you can do for conditioning that will actually benefit an athlete that could still feel like punishment. Um, but they're still going to, you know, whether you say you want to just do a lactic conditioning, you just want to do, all right, give me 10 rounds of sprints. You got 10, we're gonna do it Tabata style, 10 seconds on 20 seconds off. That feels like punishment, but you know, aerobically speaking, that's going to benefit their system. Especially if you do it on like an aerodyne bike and you're not, you're not doing something detrimental, right? Right. Like burpees. Um, yeah, I'm not going to have you do 10 seconds of burpees and rest for 20 seconds. But like I said, athletically speaking, I just don't think there's place for it. Um, anytime I have to teach it in a class setting, um, if say there's, it's in there and it's a program that I didn't program because it is a class setting. Um, I always break it down. I was like, give me an air squat, drop down into a high plank, give me a push up, another squat, then give me a good fundamental jump with good landing mechanics. Yeah. I was like, if we're doing it in EMOM, that's going to, it's going to take you 45 seconds to do five of those and you'll thank me for it after. I, I 100% agree with you. I've been accused of shitting on burpees for attention. And it's like, it's not, it's not about attention. And I'm certainly not the only person who believes this. No. And it's like, it, there's just, there's always a better tool for the job. Even if that job is, I'm just going to do this because it's hard. Like do something that is less injury risk and less technically like doing a proper burpee. Like you said, it's quite a technically proficient exercise, especially as your heart rate is jacked up and you're not doing it as like your a series of your workout. You're always doing it at like the end to right. get sweaty and to get out of breath. So you're already tired of like all the things that you just mentioned. So yeah, there's always, there's just always a better tool for the job. It's not functional unless it's part of, you know, we'll shit on CrossFit a little bit again, unless it's part of your sport, it's functional for being good at CrossFit okay, that's, that's a function of it. But outside of that, there's no actual, there's, you'll never go down into a plank, have to pop up and jump up. That's not functional in any way. Right. Yeah. It's like unloading my groceries. Let me hit a burpee real quick before <laughs> I grab everything out of the trunk. It's like, yeah. no, nah, that's not required. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, it, it is, if it's part of your sport, like CrossFit, then sure. Train it. Yeah. Um, if you play any other sport, don't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and same thing and, with a snatch, a barbell snatch. I, I'm yeah. I don't, I'm not going to lump it in the same category as a, a burpee because I think there's no place for training um, or no place in training for burpees, where a snatch is different. But like I said, my first certification, uh, USAW Olympic lifting. I sure I can teach a snatch, but unless I have an athlete training for a snatch, why? Yeah. You know what I mean? Clean, totally different story. Clean is a very um, athletically beneficial movement. Um, even a jerk to an extent, but there's ways you can replicate that. I recently went through the landmine U certification and like hitting a landmine jerk, you get all that same extension, explosion, explosion, sorry. Um, but you don't have to, you don't have to worry about holding a barbell overhead, overhead right. with both hands. Right. But you still get the same benefit of the movement. So there's other ways to replicate that, but a snatch, I'm like, unless you're competing in snatch, what are we doing? Yeah. And I, and I think another thing to think about snatches and, and all the Olympic lifts really is that it might not be the best tell of because there's such a technically proficient movement. They might not be the best tell of like who's the best athlete or who's the strongest. I remember I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about this exact thing, and they said, "I would rather see an athlete do an impressive barbell 
cheat curl where they're leaning their whole back and like getting their whole body into it because that's just displaying raw strength. There's right. no technical proficiency in that. Now, it's not it's a display of strength. It's not like something you would use in training, but if if a guy can barbell curl a shitload of weight and cheating in all bad form, he's pretty strong. If you can do a good a good clean and jerk snatch overhead whatever, you might be strong, but you might also just be very technically proficient right. at that exercise whereas a really strong person who's not practiced it might not be able to do it at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're spot on um and perfect example that was when I went through the certification um there was this guy, uh, he, I believe he was Air Force in the certification, a uh, little Asian guy, probably 140 pounds, five, six, maybe. Um, I'm five, eight. Uh, at the time, I was probably 200 pounds. I'm like, okay, I can definitely out squat and out deadlift this cat. But his form on snatches, on clean and jerks, I'm like, he's he's, he's shitting on me. Like, yeah. like, he's just making me look bad. And everything was just so clean and so precise. And the weight, too. Like, he was putting up way bigger weight than I was. And that so that just goes right to your point. Like, that's a very technical lift. But where you see someone do a kipping curl where they're using their whole body to get it in, it's like, okay, like, that's just – it's like an atlas stone, right? Yeah. Right? Atlas stone, same thing. Like, it, the form picking up an atlas stone, probably not going to look great. But you pick up that atlas stone, it's like, damn, that's a strong dude. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no way to, there's no way to hide. There's no way to be more technical at those kind of things. You're just strong or you're not. And that's it. Yep. Yeah. You're right. And that's, that's perfectly said. There's no, there's no way to hide from it. You can either do it or you can't. There's no like, but if I lock in and, and I'm clean, <laughs> close to my body and my alignment's good, it's like, yeah. no, no, no. It'll probably actually make it worse. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually need to put you in a bad position to lift this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just to say again, to, to, double down on this like these are displays of strength they're not things that you should like regularly do in training the, the guys and girls who do these things in competition like they they know what they're doing they've also accepted the the inherent risk that comes with those things and so they're willing to accept the risk of blowing out their back or doing whatever it is to to perform their sport athletes and what they do is not necessarily healthy or good for them but it's good for their sport right yeah you're not going to see a basketball player lifting atlas stones yeah yeah like i don't think anyone would say that MMA fighting is healthy for you, but, but right. Yeah. The sport itself is uh, far from it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one thing, one thing I kind of wanted to just get you to, to jam on a little bit before we close off here is talking about training and coaching and living a little bit more barefoot. That was one thing I know that you mm-hmm. kind of like are, are big on and, and as am I, uh, that you've kind of instilled a little bit, a little bit at on it. Of course, it's you know, part of the whole thing. Um, uh, but just talk to me about some of the benefits that you've noticed since you kind of started doing this in your own life. My, my lifts have gotten better for sure. I feel like I have, um, you know, better ground connection, a better base. Um, and I even, I even tell us in classes, uh, when we're doing deadlift and I've, I've gotten a lot of my athletes to, if they're not barefoot, they're in bare minimum, at least socks. Um, or one, one client who is, uh, kind of uncomfortable with it. He got the, the Vibram shoes. So it's like, all right, cool. We're, we're making progress here. Um, but I always tell classes like perfect example, uh, I believe it was yesterday we were demonstrating deadlifts and I always demonstrate lifts like when I'm introducing them to classes and I was, it was cold. So I was surprisingly wearing shoes and I was wearing some, uh, Adidas, something like boost, whatever. And so they had like the big cushion sole. And I was like, guys, this is a lot of wasted energy to a compress this sole before you actually get to a surface where you have like you can press against. Um, but also it's creating instability. You think of like squatting, squatting or deadlifting on marshmallows, right? Um, it's going to create some, some micro shifts in there. And that once you start adding weight, like those micro shifts could be painful. Um, so yeah, it's for me, like I said, it's strengthened my lifts. I feel like it's made me a better runner as well. I feel like my feet are stronger. Um, and also like Muay Thai, it's a barefoot sport. 
So that it's benefited me there, just getting comfortable being barefoot. Um, and then rotationally speaking, um, say you're doing a landmine pull to press or a rotational med ball throw, whatever the case may be, being barefoot gives you that better connection to the ground. So kinetically speaking, like it's going to help you deliver more force. Right. Yeah, totally. You're not right. having to deliver force into a foam sole. Right. Cause you, cause the foam pushes back against you. And so you're, you're fighting it almost. Right. And yep. it's one of those things, like you said, just about the deadlift, you get away with it when you do it with 20 pounds, you, you throw 500 pounds or, you know, whatever, a heavy amount of weight, there's less room for error there. And so when you're fighting things that you don't need to be fighting, that's not good. And it throws off a whole bunch of balance things. Like I know for myself, and I'm sure you've had this the same experience clients with any single leg exercises, I find a lot struggle with like the balance of it and just trying yes. to like line themselves up. It's like, okay, take your shoes off and now let's try it. And then all of a sudden, like the body just kind of organizes itself. And this is someone whose feet are for lack of better words, broken, like they don't work very well, but even still taking the shoes off with feet that don't work great, it's still organizing their body a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, I have a client, um, same, same baseball guy re referred to earlier, um, had a pretty significant injury. And so he has pretty much neutral dorsiflexion on his left, um, his left ankle. And he, I've, I've, converted him to like barefoot training. And he's like, he raves about it. He's like, dude, my foot hasn't moved this well since before 10 years ago. He's like, it's, and it's getting better and better every time just because he, he's not protected by a shoe. Yeah. He's working outside of that comfort zone. And obviously we're modifying things We're we're using plates for squats and lunges and stuff like that. We're getting that heel elevated to help with some of that dorsiflexion. Um, but on that same day where it was cold and I was wearing shoes, I was trying to demonstrate a lateral bound. And I'm like, holy cow, like I, I look like I'm drunk right now compared to like how I would normally function. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, hold on, let me take my shoes off. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. It almost yeah. creates a it creates a um, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it creates an energy leak that is not you. It's not your yeah. body. That's an energy leak. But that that come that cushion sole is an energy leak because you are having to waste energy to compromise for the cushion. Absolutely. It would be, it would be equivalent to maybe a more tangible example would be like doing a bench press on, um, on a stability ball, on a yoga ball. Like you're just bouncing and, and squishing into it all over the place. You can't actually get stable, right? The same in your right. shoe to a lesser degree, but it's still happening. No, that's a great comparison. Yeah. That is a great comparison. Cause yeah, you're, you're trying to do a barbell bench press on a, on a stability ball. Like things are not going to feel right. And you're going to have to compensate to do a lot of that. Whereas in like, you take your foot out of that shoe and you open it up and you free it a little bit, like your body, your body is made to be like that. You know, it, yeah. it, it should, like I said, things start to line up. Yeah. I think it also, it forces your foot to work like a foot where the shoe doesn't do the work for you. And I think that's a big part of it too, is like, you know, people can't move their toes independently or move their big toe independently of their other toe. Like that's not normal for anyone listening. Right. Like, like stand up right now, if, unless you're driving or whatever, and try and like leave all your toes on the, on the ground and then just pick up your big toe. Yeah. Well, probably a lot of people can't do that. And that's not normal. It's normal because that's how most people are, but like, you know, we all should be able to do that kind of stuff. So right. allowing the foot to work like a foot and not letting the shoe do the work of stabilizing your ankle and this whole like, Oh, this foot has a lot of, this shoe has a lot of support. It's like, no, no, no. Your body has enough support more than enough. Yeah. You just got to use it. Yeah. 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 Let your foot be a foot. I couldn't agree more. Um, and like you said, it's a perfect test of like, put your toes down, lift up just your big toe, put your big toe down, lift your little toes up, lift them, lower them one at a time. It's like a majority of people can't do that. Even for me, like lowering them one at a time, uh, it's difficult, but it's like, oh man, that like, there's something to this. Like this feels good. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's taken from the, from Dr. Andrea Spina, the FRC. Yeah. 
surf. Yep. He, he was the one who like showed me that. And I remember looking around the room during that certification and like a lot of people couldn't do it. And everyone's making the, the finger guns while they do it. It's a very strange thing that that all happens to us. Um, but yeah, you're like having control of our body and being able to use our body is, is of course, like hugely important. And one thing that is so well promoted on it in all aspects of, of the way that we move our body and act outside of the gym and conduct ourselves taking health very holistically. So I've always like very much enjoyed all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And that, um, like I said, going back to on it, like that is what we preach is that total human optimization. Um, when I did the durability cert there, John Wolf, the, one of the head guys there, he, he told a story about him rolling his ankle and he immediately started doing some durability or some FRC work to it. And like by the next day, like he's expecting to have a rough couple of weeks. And by the next day, there's like minimal bruising and minimal swelling. And he felt way better. It's like, those are the kind of things, like if you're walking around barefoot or in a vibram sole, or if you're, you know, even just working on durability, moving your toes around, moving your ankles around, like that's something people don't think about is like, that's going to make you more prepared for when you step off of a curb the wrong way, or you, you catch your toe on a, on a door and you lose your balance. It's like, especially for like the, the elderly population balance is huge. I mean, like, you know, not to get too uh, dra- dramatic with it, but people die that way. Like they mm-hmm. lose their balance and they hit their head on a counter or something. Like I've unfortunately had a, an elderly client whose husband passed away that way. Wow. And um, they were in their early eighties. And it's one of those things. It's like, no, those are like you balance and walking around barefoot and uh, being able to absorb a potential injury is that's where I think is that's, I think the biggest thing for training is injury prevention. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it seems like a small thing, but you know, like you just said, if you know someone who's had something like that, or, and even if it's not a death, but you know, you, you break a hip, you break an arm at an old age, like it, these things suck. You don't want that to happen ever at any right. age, but, but you know, there are things that we can do to sort of prepare our body if, and when those things happen. And they're usually boring. They're not that sexy. You're not going to post it on Instagram, about how well you can move your toes and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there's I mean, some, like, into it. No. yeah, maybe there's some weird, like, uh, those only fan sites selling pictures right. of your feet and shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, like that's not that, that's not that cool to like talk about or, or to display. So, or to do it. So, but these are the things that we need to do just as much as like stretching mobility, breathing, getting, getting in the ice, get doing hard stuff kind of, you know, and the day to day tasks, not just the one hour, three times a week that you're in the gym. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. The, the resistance training should complement what you're doing elsewhere. Yeah. Totally agree, man. Thank you so much for, for your time. I, we, we hit on a lot. We can definitely keep going for forever, Right. Uh, yeah. but, but we'll have to, we'll have to do another one at, at some point. Yeah. Um, we'll have to would, run it back for sure. What's, uh, I gotta, I gotta come back to Texas, man. I gotta get out of this fucking cold. That's, that's what has to happen first. And then we'll do it. We'll do a big one with everyone. Two days. I mean, like I said, it's cold today, but two days ago I got burned sunburned golfing. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it's, it's beautiful out here, man. You know, you, you came out in July, like yeah, probably couldn't have been perfect. prettier. Yeah. 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 And, and, and shout out for, for freedom as well. So, you know, what, we'll, but we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I moved to Texas for a reason and I'll, I'll you know, kind of in that same breath. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, what else you got coming up? Where can people find you and, 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 uh, contact you to learn more about anything else you got going on? Um, well, what I got coming up next is training a couple big league guys in Phoenix. I am presented an opportunity because, um, spring training starting late with, with MLB. So I'm gonna go out there and help get a couple big league guys ready. Cause spring training should be starting soon. Um, if MLB and the players union come to an agreement, um, so that'll be coming up, uh, if people want to follow along and, and kind of see the adventures that I, I go on, um, I'm coach Nick 44 on Instagram. Um, 
you know, you're not going to find the, the sexy Instagram workouts, but you're going to find the stuff that works. Uh, you're going to find the stuff that pros are doing. Um, and they're, they're doing it for a reason, you know, you know, they're, they're lifting for a reason. Like we, we touched on earlier, 63 inch box jump is a tremendous display of athleticism, but it does not develop athleticism. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm big on. And, uh, like I said, just helping people live better lives outside the gym wall, whether they're athletes or not. It, it, I know fitness has helped me tremendously with my outside the gym life. Um, and that's what it started as. And now it's, it turned into a passion and a mission for me to kind of pass that on to other people. Like, you don't sure being jacked and tan is great, but just being fit and feeling good and moving good and just being comfortable in your own skin is more than enough for most people. So that's kind of, uh, you know, my, like I said, my passion and, and my mission. So if you want to follow along, it's coach Nick 44 on Instagram. And like I said, uh, stay tuned. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. I, I totally agree with that. It, like, jacked and tan being able to lift more weight than your friends and all that kind of stuff it's all cool but it's like it's far from far from the coolest stuff it's way more cool to just be able to get out of bed in the morning and not hurt and be able to go on a hike if you want to like you know all athletes and all of us have had our share of injuries and been in a point of like where it's like ah i can't move this sucks and we get out of that and we you know we pass it on and so that's the that's the important stuff it sounds silly coming from two guys who are relatively young and like oh you don't know what it's like to be 50 and okay i get it but we don't yeah. want you to hurt <laughs> when, when you get it. Right. We want you to be able to play with your grandkids and get into a full squad and pick up a little running three-year-old and throw them up over your head. We want you to be able to do that when you're 70. But if it doesn't right. start, if it doesn't start now, it's certainly not going to happen at that point. Right. Yeah. Because guess what? That's what I plan on doing at 70. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to still be surfing and golfing at 70 years old. So, you know, knock on wood, hopefully I'm still around then. But yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's the plan, man. We only lose mobility when we stop being mobile. So exactly. got to just keep at it. Exactly. Beautiful, man. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for coming on. I'll put your contact info in the uh, in the show notes here. I appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you for your time. As always, give uh, Coach Nick Gomez a follow on Instagram at Coach Nick 44. Who was that? Yep. Was it Coach Nick 44? Did yep, I say that yeah, right? Coach Nick 44, yep. Coach Nick 44. Uh, follow myself as well at Daniel Yours. Yes. Give the podcast a share, uh, rating, review on whatever platform you listen to. And that's it. Go be a good person. Take your shoes off. Move your body. Take it easy. Amen. Amen.